Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Restoring Grace Radio on blogtalkradio.com. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining us either live or on archives. Restoring Grace Radio is here to provide online lessons about the Christian faith, our history, our documents, and how to express our faith to a very needy world. Thank you for listening, and now, on to our broadcast. Thanks for joining us either live or on archive. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and we are back uh, on the air with Candid Conversations. Again, just a couple of uh, housekeeping things as we get started. Uh, One of them is watch the the, uh, show rating. Some of the conversations that are going on on this particular program um, are very serious conversations. The vocabulary is required, uh, is very serious, and I just want to say something as we get started. Um, I'm actually thrilled that Rebecca was willing to do this. And when we first kicked this off, I had no idea, you know, what, what would happen? Would anybody listen to this? And surprisingly, the shows are pulling great. Thank you, by the way. Um, and if you hear something on the show and you're, man, I wish there was something I could do to get involved. There is copy the link and share it on any of your pages. It is open source, not copyrighted. Go into it, do whatever you want to do. Uh, a couple of Celebrate Recovery programs that are listening. Thank you so much um, for doing it. But this is a combination of education. Somebody has to know what they're talking about. Uh, this is also somebody's personal experience. As Rebecca talks, she talks about things that these aren't things that she heard about. These are things that she's gone through. And we've been getting some feedback from people about how difficult it is to hear the program at times. I will tell you, sitting here watching her talk about it can be difficult. So we get that part. If you get to something on the show and you're listening and it gets really hard for you, press the pause button. Do what you have to do. Whatever exercise, meditate, come back to it later. Maybe that's all you can handle for now. That's fine. Don't beat yourself up over it. This is very serious. But I just want to say for those of you that are listening to this and you hear something and you say, that really happened to me. Um, It takes the, I don't even know the phrase, but unbelievable amount of courage to start facing the challenges of things that have gone on. And that's our hope is that we can begin to talk about these, these, what's happening. And I got an email from a guy who was not happy about the fact that we kept talking about victim shaming. We kept talking about this. And I appreciate your emails. By the way, I'll answer all of your emails. Well, most of them. 
but I'll answer your emails. But the fact is, the fact that we're not talking about the trauma that comes from somebody, when somebody says, something happened to me, and people say, we don't believe you, or, well, tell us what you were wearing. When we have those kinds of conversations, we are, tr- we are putting even more trauma on somebody in a very difficult situation. And that particular mindset and culture, that is one of the things that the show is going to attack, period. There's no way to get around it. When Rebecca and I talked in the very beginning, uh, we talked about that. And I, I just said, green light, go. Go get that because that's got to stop. That's something, by the way, we can stop immediately. We don't need a long, drawn-out conversation about when somebody comes to you and says, this has happened to me, sit up, take notice, write down what they say. She talked about that an episode ago. And approach it as if it happened to you. And then let's see what kind of happens from there. So this is episode number three. Um, we're going to be talking – is it four? This is four already? Four. That's the other reason why they don't let me count. <laughs> um, and now we're going to be talking about working with the victims, creating safe environments, um, some of the things that are going on, um, things you need to know. Uh, as you move forward and you're making difficult decisions, we want to make sure we're getting as much information and on Facebook, look for a page called Candid Conversations. You'll be able to find the unique show links for the episodes right there on that page. And, um, again, I want to thank David, and I do this you know, every time because this has been so instrumental in changing lives. And I know that it is so triggering. It's hard for me even to do the show. I need some kind of recovery time afterwards. And it feels great to get it out and all that. And, and, but being triggered, you also have to know how to handle that. And hopefully throughout these shows, we will be able to provide resources enough to, and, and at least um, to be able to move forward in the healing process. And, and David, we haven't even touched on, on the rape myth acceptance and the rape culture yet. We haven't even, it, it seems like we, we started it, we introed it, then we wanted to talk about what consent was, and then a lot of things happened in my personal life, too, you know, and, and a lot of people contacted me about what about childhood sexual abuse. So we kind of went, we're going, you know, all over. We're just going where it takes us. So we will have further episodes talking specifically about the victim blaming and all that. I mean, it's so it's detrimental that we talk about it because we can't even address it we can't even start to address it if we don't acknowledge it. So we're going to acknowledge it right now. We're going to acknowledge, um, and the reason we're spending so much time on childhood sexual abuse, and this is part two of who knows how many, is because most, and I think I said this before, most sexual abuse occurs in childhood. And most of us have kids. Most of us know kids. Our kids grow up. We grew up. So, and then last time we talked about, um, you know, a lot of, um, um, sorry, I'm trying to think of the word here, um, the signs and symptoms of, of sexual abuse. And, you know, we'll go over a couple of those, but now I want to focus on, okay, we get up to that point, and now our, our kid, our child, our teenager, or our friend is coming to us disclosing, what do we do now? And that, believe me, that is a, an absolute nightmare for parents. You think about what's in the hierarchy of nightmares, it's right up there of parents. You know, I even when you when you have teenage girls or boys and they start 
getting into relationships and stuff, that's one thing that does go through your mind. What am I going to do if my daughter or son comes to me and tells me this happened to me? And it's scary and it's a nightmare. But most important thing you do initially, and there are a few steps, but most of, mostly what you need to do, you need to remember that children look for signs and cues um, that they'll be okay. They, it's a very scary thing to come out. Um, because sexual abuse, especially in children, is essentially taking control of that child. So you need to stay calm when, when a child is disclosing to you, first and foremost. Um, stay calm. They're, they're looking at you. They're wanting to know your responses. You need to reestablish their safety. Um, it changes, and I think I said this before, child sexual abuse changes the entire way they see the entire world. And they need to feel like they're going to be okay and that they're not damaged goods, they're not broken. They need protection and they need specialized treatment and they need support. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and you need to believe what they say, first of all. Like David said, when someone tells you, especially a child tells you, this happened to me, treat it as if it happened. Um, false disclosures are so rare, we shouldn't even be talking about them. And unfortunately, a lot of investigative time after disclosure does go into, well, did this happen? Can we prove it? Can we prove it didn't happen? Unfortunately, and I've seen it myself, and I don't even know if we've mentioned on here that I was an investigator um, for a police department. I was a police detective, and I investigated uh, major crimes, and the most uh, – the biggest crime I investigated was childhood sexual abuse, and I don't know my numbers. I think it was upward in the 200s of the cases that I've investigated. And so you have to believe them. Don't spend investigative time trying to discredit them or, or trying to think well if they – and believe me, don't think that your child is going to come to you and tell you. Don't assume that. Even I assume that. I assumed, oh, well, sure, my kid's going to come and tell, and tell me if something happens. We go over this. We talk about good touch, bad touch. We have a close relationship. We have an open relationship, an honest one. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm very close with my children. But even up until a few weeks ago, a couple shows ago, um, my oldest daughter didn't disclose some things that happened to her until then. So just don't assume that, that they're just going to come out and tell you. Um, but if they if they do and when they do, believe them. Believe them, believe them. Thank them for telling you. Um, let them know that it, it was the right thing to do and it was not their fault. Um, and like I said, remind yourself that false disclosures are so rare. So when, it, when a kid comes to you and they say, you know, mommy, daddy, so-and-so did this or whatever, you don't want to start asking questions that – is going to uh, lead them to a certain thing. This this can get kind of tricky. Yes, they're your kids. Yes, you can ask them whatever you want. Just keep in mind, you don't want to be accused of leading them because you don't want that to be a defense later. You want to be supportive of a case. When a child comes to you and tells you that they've been abused sexually, however it is that you find it out, um, you have to contact authorities. It's considered abuse. <coughs> It's absolutely considered abuse if you don't contact authorities, um, because we have the you know we have people to protect, and who knows how many other people, the abusers are affecting, touching, how many more, 
Um, I read a stat, a statistic once that um, I think it was on Dr. Phil actually, um, that a predator, child predator, will have an average of 40 victims in their lifetime. That's four zero if they're not caught. If they're caught and prosecuted, they have an average of nine victims. So it's important, and like I said, it is considered abusive to to not report it. So we're going to discuss, and I'll give you some phone numbers and whatnot of who to report it to. But but while you're you're finding out this abuse happened, like I said, be careful not to lead. But but ask follow up follow up questions. Um, you know, you said that you didn't like when so-and-so did this, tell me more about that, or what did you mean when you said that? Um, and try not to show relief or, or like, disappointment to the answers that your child gives. Um, when children sense that the, what they're saying is causing that person pain, they will take it back. And like I said last time, that is not an indicator. If they recant a, a disclosure, that is not an indicator that it didn't happen. Um, and you need to reestablish that child's safety. Remember, um, sexual abuse, in my opinion, is a violent crime. So they are, because it's, it's one um, used to gain control, most often it's about control. So you need to reestablish that, that safety with that child. That's, that should be considered priority. Um, and like I said, it, it takes away from a child's sense of control, and they have less faith that adults will protect them. So, and you need to under, help the child understand that the abuse, the abuser did something wrong um, and that this person needs help because a lot of times uh, the abuser is someone that they know, someone that they care about, someone that they love. Um, but they, and so they might not even know that, that this is wrong. And, Abusers spend a, an enormous time grooming children. So let your child know that what happened to them was wrong and that this person might need help to stop hurting others. And, and pay attention about, you know, what cues they give you to uh, what they might need to feel safe afterwards. And depending on, like, the relationship and the imminent danger of the victim, um, when you do contact law enforcement, typically what you're going to see is you're going to they're going to send a patrol officer out. Now you can request a female patrol officer, and and the reason I say that and, and even bring that up is because children um, feel safer. I don't know why they just feel safer around women officers. It's scary talking to a cop, and it's scary as a child disclosing something that personal. Um, when my daughter Cheyenne disclosed um, at the age of 15 about my stepson, they sent a patrol officer out, and I talked to him first, and I said, you know, look, my daughter, she might not even talk to you. She ended up opening up, but the second time she disclosed, I didn't want her talking to a patrol officer to begin with, and you don't have to. It ended up, um, you know, making them a little bit mad, but you have to do what is going to make your child feel comfortable. Understand that they're going to be interviewed forensically later in a safe environment. So um, when your child is telling you about this, you need to free them of self-blame. And I cannot stress that enough. Self-blame is, and, and like David said in the beginning, we were going to talk about victim blaming and all that. Well, it's not just about, what society and our culture is doing, but what is that child doing 
telling themselves about it um, and maybe because of the culture. But a lot of victims will blame themselves. You need to free them of that immediately. It's the most common thing, and it's the most difficult for someone to overcome in their lifetime with dealing with sexual abuse. And um, remember this, too, that even if the child acts willingly, they cannot consent. So stress to your child that what happened to them was not okay. It was abuse, and thank them for coming forward. And get help. Um, Oftentimes you want to handle it yourself within the family. Believe me, I've been there. Um, and you don't know what to do, but you can't handle it within a family. You can't do that. Um, it's a mistake that can further isolate the child. And I mean, sexual abuse on children is illegal in all 50 states. Um, and we need to protect the community too. And secrets about abuse run rampant in families. I know that. So you just, just remember, you cannot handle it within the family. And there are some things that you can do while you're waiting for um, a police officer to come out. They'll take the initial report. It'll be just the facts, the meat and potatoes of it. But in the meantime, you can start writing down things that, that stand out to you about if the, if the child, you know, tells you who abused them, start thinking back and write, start documenting things about about this adult, like what were their behaviors around them, how their behaviors changed. And I do want to go over a couple red flags, to when it comes to the adults around your children, what to look for, the signs that they may be sexually abusing children. So we'll go over that a little bit later. Um, and if you get a gut feeling about somebody, remember, 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 that's intuition. Don't ignore that. Um, if the if the person if the adult has like a different special friend and, the, and that it changes every year or so that nobody knows about, you know, write that down. And and like I said before, when you keep track of little details in a journal, that ends up being just the Bible in court. They can, that can be entered into evidence. Write down everything that you can think of that could be supporting factors in this. Um, if if the person spends more spare time with younger adults or teens, write that down. That could be a sign. You know, it's not normal for a 30-something-year-old to be hanging out with, like, a 17-year-old. It's just not normal, especially if that's not – if it's not in a normal role setting, role model setting. Um, if this person is spending time with younger adults even or doesn't have any close adult friends, I mean and, – and that's hard to – to detect but and like I said before not not all of these things not one thing is a sign that someone is being sexually abused or sexually abusing others but a totality of it so just keep this in mind if they film a lot if and I film a lot I I'm always the one taking pictures at parties whatever I think it's because I don't like talking to people so I'm, I'd rather just take pictures but if this person spends a lot of time filming children make note of that um, if this person is making fun of, you know, children's sexuality, if they're bringing it up, I'm sure we've all heard the uncle that goes, hey, so do you have a boyfriend yet or the or whoever? So tell me about your boyfriend. And, and it's it's it may seem cute and fun to kid people about that. But if they're just on that and they really want to know, that's a red flag. If they frequently ask that, that's uncomfortable for people. And that's a red flag. Um 
if uh, an adult is encouraging like secrets or silence in children, like come here and, and they're whispering and all that, red flag too. So just when you're waiting for a patrol officer, just try taking notes of all this little stuff. Um, if this adult has had any sexual abuse themselves and hasn't dealt with it, if they, if you know for a fact that they've been a victim or they talked about it before and you know that they haven't had um, help or therapy specialized in that, um, if an adult, and I hate to say this, I know it's triggering, but if an adult masturbates so much to the point where, you know, it's affecting their day-to-day life, I know when I kicked my brother out, and I had, at this point, I didn't know that he sexually abused my daughter. But when I kicked him out and went through his room, there were massive amounts of masturbation tools. I mean, all over the place. That's a huge red flag. Um, there's also downloading pornography, um, animal sexual abuse, and that's huge. That's, that's something we'll go over later. That's huge in itself um, because animals cannot consent. Um, so when your child is, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place tonight, but when your child is discussing this with you, you can ask clarifying questions. You said this, you know, tell me more about that. In their forensic interview, they are not allowed to lead your, you, the child to say anything. So discuss with them that, that they're going to be interviewed later after you contact the authorities. And let me just list a couple authorities. There's, you can contact Department of Human Services, you can contact the police directly, you can contact a therapist. Therapists are mandated reporters. Um, here in El Paso County, we have Department of Human Services. Um, they actually have an abuse or neglect hotline. Um, let me just give out that number while we're here. Um, it is 1-844-264-464. 5437. That's the abuse or neglect hotline for DHS. The CSPD phone number is 719-444-7000. So 7000. El Paso County is 390-5555-719. Um, so you have that responsibility to report it. When an officer comes out, you're going to be asked, and you might be asked later in court, you'll be asked if you reported the abuse, how long it took you to report the abuse, and why. And you're going to have to answer that because it is considered abuse to not report sexual assault in children to authorities. You'll be asked who you told. Um, unfortunately, sometimes they use this not investigatively, but which they should, in my opinion. And, and as an investigator, I would ask people, adults, well, who else did you tell about the abuse? And it was just to corroborate everything. And, but some investigators use that to, you know, try to discredit the story. Just keep in mind who you told, what you, what you said, what the child said. You'll be asked if the perpetrator knows. I would not recommend um, contacting the abuser. I know, especially in families, when your kid comes to you and is telling you that something violating happened to violated happened to them, you see red. You just you don't know what to do. You see red. You want to call that person up immediately, and and you want to just, you know, 
get to the bottom of it, confront them and all that. But that could be a mistake um, for prosecution later. So I would not recommend that. Um, and like I said before, in my opinion, um, and this is just my opinion. Look, I'm a flawed individual, but I do have experience professionally. I have experience personally. I have experience being the victim myself, the mother of a victim, and the stepmom and sister to an abuser. So in my opinion, when I say all these things, these are my opinions based on my knowledge or experience. But I don't think children should be able to talk to patrol cops, or I think the other opposite. I don't think patrol cops should be able to talk to children because, like I said, it can be scary. They, they have a gun on. They have, you know, a big shiny badge. They're an authority figure. And the, your child is already thinking they did something wrong. Believe me, that goes through their head. And it, for them to overcome that and then all of a sudden the police show up, it, it can just be really intimidating for a child. And that is up to you as a parent. Um, they shouldn't ask too many questions, though, if you decide, okay, I'll let the patrol cop any trained uh, police officer, especially in larger departments, they, they're trained um, to not ask a lot of questions because there is a process for this. So they shouldn't ask too many questions. Uh, most larger agencies have been trained right. Some smaller agency cops, they're kind of known to, to kind of dig a little bit more than they should. If you feel like it's inappropriate questioning or it's traumatic, you can stop the officer and just, you know, just the facts, you know, you can just give them the meat and potatoes. Um, if you're ever dissatisfied with an agency um, or how a cop is handling it, go to their supervisor or you can contact an advocate or contact the district attorney's office. Now, victims advocates are provided throughout the process of prosecution. They're provided at the beginning. Um, when you report childhood sexual abuse, you'll be giving be given a victim's rights form and on that is a list of advocacy centers for you they'll have one at the police department they'll have one at the forensic interview place and they'll have one at the da's office and there also are other agencies around for that purpose i would absolutely recommend 100 percent getting an advocate um when I went through this with my daughter, I declined getting an advocate, and I'm kicking myself now, but I thought, well, we don't need one. You know, she's got me, whatever. But, but advocates can be really important in communication. They can be the liaison between you and the department, you and the prosecution, and you what's going on. They really fight for, for victims' rights, and they're just so important. So take them up on it. Um, they even offer therapy right away. Don't you don't have to wait for a case to be proven or for it to get a certain you know uh, to a certain point. Take them up on the victim's advocacy. Get them in therapy. Um, they can send one out that night, actually that night or day or whatever. When you contact the police department, they'll send a patrol cop out, and they can, upon your request, send a victim's advocate. Definitely take them up on that. So after the initial report, um, the case will be signed to a detective and from there the detective will contact you um, in the meantime try not to discuss in depth with your child about the details of the, the sexual abuse just reassure them that that they're going to be okay they did the right thing stay calm and you can prepare your child for 
the forensic interview. But just remember, don't lead. But you can still prepare them. Um, the forensic interviewers are not allowed to lead. You're not either, but if you let your child know that they're going to Safe Passage, for example, Safe Passage is the place that we take um, children victims in El Paso County. Safe Passage is a great, a great place. Let them know that they're going there to talk about what happened with so-and-so or what happened to them. It just makes it easier to get right into the interview. Um, and like I said again, get your child into therapy. Um, I wouldn't recommend interfering with the case, but keep in contact with the agency and write stuff down. I just cannot stress that enough. It's Like I said, it's, it's the Bible in court. Anything that you can think of that's going to help your case investigatively. It's not on you, and it's certainly not on your child to prove it, by no means. But little things that you can think of, keep a journal next to your bed. If you're, because you're, I guarantee you, you're going to be sitting up at night thinking about this. Like, how did I miss this? And, and you're going to blame yourself for it. And you're going to go, well, it's the warning signs. Write those warning signs down. There is nothing wrong with that. Write, write down suggestions you might have. But you're going to want to get involved in the case. You're just going to want to. Being a parent, you want to protect your child, and you in that in that routine of blaming yourself you're going to sit there and think what could i have done what should i have done differently just write that stuff down and i know it's personal but but let the detective know that you're keeping a journal of that kind of thing and keep in contact with them um then you're going to be asked later if to give a victim impact statement the, these are so important because this is where you're going to be able to write down or even your child can write down as the case progresses um, into prosecution, this can be read in court. It's called a victim impact statement. And I wish, looking back on, on when my daughter disclosed, I wish we did one. At that point, she just wanted it to be over, as did I. It was like, okay, this is out, it's over. And, and she just wanted minimal, minimal involvement in it after that. It was really tough for her to go up against the family even and, and get it out. But let them write out what this has done. How has this impacted your child? How has this impacted their everyday life? Because I promise you it's going to impact them for the rest of their life. Um, and remember, that. I'm sorry, like, like I said, I'm going back and forth and I'm bouncing all over. It's been a very hectic day for me. So I'm just going to bounce back and forth. Forgive me. Um, when you're preparing your child for the safe passage interview or the forensic interview, whichever agency they go through, um, remember that that is the testimony that's going to be given in court. The interviewer is going to tell your child that they're being recorded. They're going to show them the camera. So make them aware of that. They're going to say, hey, there's a little camera just so we don't forget everything. Make your child aware of that and prepare them for that. Um, you just want to be as supportive as you can to your child because it's a, a very scary process. Um, and we talked about getting people into therapy, getting victims into therapy, and being supportive. It could be life or death to these kids. I watched it happen myself. It unfolded in front of my eyes. And my daughter had been in therapy since she was eight years old. You just don't know when your child's going to disclose, if they're ever going to, 
But when they do, you just have a responsibility. We have a responsibility as parents and as adults to take the wheel of this and and understand what it takes for a child to come forward. And it's it's bravery. I don't know if that's what you were looking for before, but it, it takes a certain amount of bravery for a child to come forward. And what we do with that could literally mean the difference of life or death for this, this child. And it's a lifelong sentence, unfortunately, when, when people have been victimized, especially as children. It's a lifelong sentence. I, somebody commented today about um, how he said, when I was talking about my daughter's story, which I often do, and I, I'm truly sorry if that is triggering people. It triggers me. I do have her permission to talk about it. Um, but he, he mentioned, he asked if there were any success stories because he's heard the stories before and he doesn't recall hearing any success stories. And it just took me back a little bit because I don't know that you can have a success story when it comes to surviving childhood sexual abuse. It's traumatic. Like I said, that study done in the 90s compared the trauma and the effects of wartime trauma to childhood sexual abuse, the, the, what happened after, and they found they were the same psychological effects. So it's not necessarily that you're going to have success stories. That varies wildly on what you mean by success. I define success by, see, by being safe and happy. I've always told my children that. If you're successful to me, that means you are safe and you're happy. Now, there are survivor stories, and, and we're hopefully as we go forward with these shows, we're going to hear a lot more of those. And, and I'd love to incorporate some of the, the people that we know in common and hear their success stories. I'm doing air quotes, by the way. Success stories. I love air quotes. They can't see that. Well, they can feel it. <laughs> success stories. But we want to be able to turn these, these victims innocent victims into survivors and we want to talk about what that looks like and survivors become warriors and warriors advocate for people it's hard to advocate for yourself I'm the worst at it but when it comes to my children I'm the most fierce advocator there can be but we need to help victims advocate for themselves as well and I think throughout the unfolding of these shows we're really going to see, and I would love pointers, too, from, from Survivor Stories. That, that's going to be really cool to see if, if we could get some phone calls in and stuff like that. It would be really cool to hear how people survive this because I'm not sure what it looks like. I know that every day I make a conscious decision and my daughter makes a conscious decision to survive that day, to, to fight. It's going to be a lifelong fight. And that's not anything that we can control, and it's not, it's not something we should shame victims for and progress shame them. I think I made that word up, progress shame. It's hard to even say progress shame because a lot of people, I've heard this a lot recently, and it just blows my mind, but a lot of people say, well, you can't let it get you and let it control you, and, and, and you can choose to, to let this control your life. And it's like, no, we can't, we don't choose to let it control our life. This is something that happened to us, happens to your children, and you're constantly going to fight it throughout your life. And what you do right after disclosure is going to mean the right path or the left path for these kids. 
and and us as adults, we have to help them every single day, every every step of the way we need to be there with them. And it's going to be hard. It triggered me completely when my daughter came out with the sexual abuse from my stepson uh, uncontrollably. I didn't know that I was going to be triggered. It's going to trigger you now or it's going to trigger you later, but you're going to be triggered. And we want to help provide throughout the show. We want to help provide a safe place um, and, and hopefully some resources that will help you know what to do after you've been triggered because it's hard. I'm going to go home tonight and just, and I'll probably go out to my truck and cry a little bit. You know, I've been on the verge of tears this whole time, but it's something that we have to, as a community, make better. And, and I'm not here to argue, you know, what victim blaming and what blah, blah, blah. I'm not here to argue that. We're only trying to make this a safer place. And, and the subject of childhood sexual abuse hits, hits a chord for me, and I'm sure it does for most people. Um, so I'm sorry I stumbled through that show. I had so much I wanted to get out, and I know I missed so much. Um, but we're letting it where this road leads. We're going to go. Well, there's, there's a lot. Like for example, one thing you mentioned just a few minutes ago, um, and I believe I believe in this 100. percent We've got to we got to get to the place where we can say we need some more. We need some working models. Because people throw words around, like I've heard, and, and Jan and I have talked about it. People say, well, this and this happened in your life, and maybe it wasn't as, as horrific as this. We need to get over it. Yeah. Or these different kind of catchphrases, um, you know, be a better you, and, and they talk about it. But the fact of the matter is, if you were, if you sit down and actually spend time uh, interviewing people who went through the Holocaust, for example, and you read the book uh, that he wrote, about empathy for others, and the only path – I'm blanking on his name right now, Victor Frankel. Uh, the, he said the only path he had for survival was to feel empathy for people that had been through what he went through, and that's why he made the book and he did the things that he did. That's his path. So right. first, of all, first of all, we have to say there's no one path for anybody. The idea of success, we're going to have to come up with a working model. Um, okay, I don't one, like that word. I don't yeah. like that word. Um, and how that works, Tony Campolo's got a great phrase, and I believe in this. The only true progress is what's called disruptive progress because what we're doing now is not working. Right. What we're doing now is not working. You know, blame the victims. Uh, all the things that are going on is not working. That's why we're talking about it. Yeah. So this show in the beginning is what's called disruptive progress. Um, you're You're saying things and you're shaking things and you're – you're causing disruption, I'm totally comfortable with that because that's what it's going to take. Now, I want to go over a couple of things. You brought some really great stuff. First of all, so you've called the police. You go through the investigation. And let's just say the police come back and they say, listen, we've looked at everything that is here, and there is not enough for us to move forward on because they have to make a decision whether they can or they can't, and they say that. At that point, the encouragement to me, to the parents would be, okay, that may resolve the legal aspect of it, but as parents, we still need to move forward. This still did happen. This child still needs help, and we still need to move forward if that door should close. Yes. Is moving forward with that. Um, and, and you kind of got into that. Um, I want to ask you a question. I already know the answer. I'm going to ask you flat out. Okay. I want to get this question out on there. Is placing a child with a known abuser abuse? Absolutely. Okay. Why Absolutely. is there a question about this? It's shocking to me that there is. Because this came up on your page. It comes up on my page all the time. Okay. 
Now, and I think I, I talked about this last <clears throat> last show, <clears throat> how it was that my brother was able to sexually abuse me, then go on to sexually abuse my daughter, um, because I was young when it stopped. Right? I didn't know recidivism rates. I didn't know. I, I had a 14-year-old brain that had been traumatized by chronic childhood sexual abuse. <laughs> I was not an expert. Even though it was known to me that he did this, <clears throat> when I, in my 14-year-old mind, he stopped doing it. That means he stopped doing it to me. He, he whatever, he, he, I don't know, as he put it, mom set me straight. Um, and so later on in life, and I think it's due to my upbringing, but I protected him. You always hear, you don't call the cops on family. You don't do this and that. You handle it within the family. And that ended up damaging my daughter and, and putting her in a position of to be abused. But had I known, had I had somebody like me telling, telling me, do not have him around your children. Do not put him in your household. Recidivism rates and this and that. But I had nobody telling me that. And I was a kid myself when this stopped. So, but had I known, had I known anything about how he was, anything about predators, I would have never, if I had someone like me knocking down my door telling me, do not put your child in this situation, I would have never done it. And like I said last time, I thought I caught the abuse before it happened. He made a sexual comment towards my daughter, and I kicked him out that night. I do blame myself enough, but having him around now, okay, and, and, and you may hear this, um, if the case doesn't go anywhere, if it's not prosecuted, well, at least there's a paper trail. Yeah, there's a paper trail, there's a paper trail now, but putting your child in reach of that abuser is abuse. If it's known to you, I mean, if you don't know, you don't know, but I think where my comments come up when when my stepson was was charged with sexually assaulting my daughter, um, he was put on sex offender probation, not allowed around kids, whatnot. He's still my family never stopped contact with him. That's abuse. He was he went through the whole court process. His sentence is done. He's carried out his sentence. Predators do not change. They don't change. The recidivism rates of offenders is so high. I don't know why this isn't on the front page of every newspaper and on the screen of every TV. This is a huge problem. It's, it's a problem as old as time. But the problem now is we want, you'll get, when you say that, well, so-and-so abused my daughter, well, is he in jail? Why isn't he in jail? Well, blah, 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 why wasn't he? That's, the, that's what you get the most. Was he in jail? And I'm sorry, but you can't, especially when you're, when you're telling your family this, what's happened to your child, and those are the remarks you're getting. For me, I had to cut off my family because they were creating an environment that was not safe for my daughter. It's just not safe for victims to come out with what happened to them. And it is not your responsibility to lay at their feet every time you talk about it, your experience, your personal history, your personal knowledge, all the things you've been documenting about this person. It's not up to you to do that. 
what we need to change as a society is stop making that the priority. Well, well, why isn't he in jail more? You need to listen to your children. This happened to them? Treat it as fact. It happened. Why is this person around kids still? I don't care about prosecution when it comes to this and families. Uh-oh. Well, we're almost out of time, but... So, again, I want to bring up a scenario because you talked about this earlier, too. It's about paying attention. A very popular movie a decade or so ago, I'm getting so old I can't remember, uh, was American Beauty. And in this particular film, the lead character had this bizarre kind of fantasy crush on his daughter's uh, girlfriend in this movie. And it first starts with just weird thinking and, and all of a sudden. At one point during the movie, the mom asked the daughter, um, why don't you guys stay over here, stay overnight? And the daughter says in kind of crass, and forgive me for the hug, but she comes out and she goes, because they can't have dad spewing in his shorts every time he sees whatever this girl's name is. That should have been a remark that caught the mom's attention. Mm-hmm. That should have, at, at that point. Those are the kind. So when you talk about you know the children giving signs and looking at people's siblings and conversations, these are things as parents. And I got to be honest with you, the the main thing that I notice parents do is they just kind of tune out on what their kids watch and what their kids are doing, and they're just kind of out of it now. Easier. And yet, kids have so much more. Like I'm looking like when I was 13, did we have all these avenues to gain information and talk to people? Rock, I'm, I'm, rocks I'm, old, I'm yeah. old enough to remember party lines. Pick up a phone, and the neighbors <laughs> and the neighbors like, hang up the phone. And you had to wait. That's how old I am. Mm-hmm. So in that critical, and I watched that movie. This is how sad it is. I remember watching that movie. I liked all the people that were acting in it, and I remember watching that movie and going right by that. Yeah, going right by that. And we all kind of know how this movie ends. It ends very sadly or very badly for the lead character. Um, he winds up getting killed by the guy, and that's a whole other set of stories. I um, it's just a depressing movie. You don't need to see it. I'm you don't need to see it. it. But in that movie, that one line comes up, and the mom's right there when this happens, and she just kind of glosses by, like they move on, and then the girl, their daughter, and this other girl, they take off and they go stay at this other girl's house or yeah. however it works out. Um, part of the thing with the kids is, and I can see you talked about grooming. That was one thing I talked about is that if you're not in touch with a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the idea kid comes home with something. You're like, where'd that come from? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd that come? It could be totally innocent. Sure. But ask the questions. Yeah. Ask the questions. Yeah. And when you, if I would have heard a remark, if I'd have been around and I would have heard my daughter make the remark that this daughter had made in this movie, that to me, would I have had enough sense to go, Whoa, what did I just hear? Yeah. Um, I think, I think, We've lost that skill of thinking. If we're going to think nothing happens, everything's going to be okay. This won't happen to us. That's a really popular thing that I hear people say. I didn't I, think it would happen to me. I never thought this would happen yeah, to me. Yeah. But yet, when you look at the statistics, um, you know it's just crazy. Like all all these people are worried about swimming in the beach. They think they're going to get eaten by a shark. Don't worry about that. There's so many more real life things that happen that we can be prepared for. Listening. Communication, too, listening and picking up on those signs. And we teach our children all about stranger danger, all about it, their whole lives. We create code words, which are, and it's important, too. Evil exists, but we need to be talking to our kids about 
what happens in the home, what happens in other people's homes. We need to focus that much attention on that too. We talk and we're getting better at it. I think as, as communities, we've started, you know, anti-bullying things and this and that schools are adding therapists and, and, that's one thing that, that I had to do is get my daughter into a school that was small enough to where she had counselors and therapists and stuff, and, and she needed to be in a more supportive environment. We need to be able to create that environment for our victims after the fact, too, because when one child is abused in a family, oftentimes the other children are, too, and they're watching that. They're watching what happens when that child tells. They're watching it, and they're paying attention. And we have to make and restructure their safety again. And it starts with watching the, the red flags, paying attention to that kind of thing. If your child's uncomfortable, ask them why and tell them you don't have to sit on so-and-so's lap anymore. You don't have to be in a photograph with them. You don't have to make our children feel safe. And if we're creating this environment that where they're not even safe to tell, they're, it's, it's more detrimental than I think we even know and realize. It's a life sentence for kids. It's a life sentence for anybody. And it happens so much more often than, than we recognize or even talk about. And, and it's triggering. And I know we, we discussed triggering at the beginning of this. Um, and I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that this is triggering everybody. It's triggering me. But again, if we don't talk about it or acknowledge it, we're not going to change it. And this is something, this culture is completely 100% preventable. We need to get that, um, like I said, I think a couple of episodes ago, there is nothing that somebody won't do to themselves or others. If we understand that, difficult. there is nothing yeah, that someone thing. won't do to themselves or others. I know it's a difficult thing. If, if I've learned anything in all my years in law enforcement, it's that. And when we understand sexual abusers look like everybody else, they are everybody else, nobody's immune from being a victim, if we can just get this in our minds and understand that this happens, that, that's why we're talking about it. This is what we're doing now, and, and I'm so thankful for this avenue that, that you've created. Well, it really comes down to changing the way we understand the believability factors. Um, and in sociology, there's a lot of conversation about believability factors. But if my wife comes home and says, man, you won't believe what happened. I'm on my way home. I'm driving on the freeway, and this 18-wheeler, and I would listen to that story, and at no point would I be like, that didn't happen. Right, right. How fast were you going? Yeah. But that's because I've been in a car, and I've had it happen to me. That, that creates this high believability factor. When so much of this is going on, and it's going on so often – this conversation should be absolutely as believable as somebody cutting me off on the freeway because it's going on. Yet the actual truth is it is very low in the ratings of believability factors. Yeah. And until, and again, folks, this is difficult, until victims speak out. Yeah. You said victim impact. I've, I've looked at some victim impact statements. Um, some of them are they send in, the DA reads them. Yes. Others at times, late, there's women walk right in there and read it. Yeah. I read these victim statements, and they, and again, I don't know the experience, sounds worse than what they went through because now this thing is just building and building. And now this moment, we have to work on that, that believability factor, and, and let people know that's the culture we're talking about changing. Yeah. It has to start with, I hear you, 
I see you. I believe I you. you. Let's work forward from here. Yeah. Tell me what happened. But especially with kids, this shouldn't even be a question. And we have not even hit the tip of the iceberg when it comes to talking about rape myths and rape myth acceptance. And when we started this, that's where we were going to go. And, and, you know, we'll dedicate another show to it. I'm not scheduling your next one or saying what it's going to be about. <laughs> She's scheduling the next one. I'm not. About. And that's fine. I'm, I'm not. That. I think maybe we need to clean this one up first. I really stumbled through this one because I just had so much to say um, that I want to get out there because I've gone through it and I know it's a nightmare when you go through it. But, but yes, rape myth acceptance, we need to talk about it and understand what they are first. There are pages of them. And most of us are going to listen to these and go, oh, you know what? I believed that. And cops are more prone to believe rape myths. we got to stop that too. And, and families, if, you, if your kid discloses to you, your child discloses, and you're on the phone with your family, try not to give them too many details because then what they're going to start doing is that believability factor that they're going to say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, I can't see him doing that or her doing that. I can't see that happening. They're going to start to tear it apart, and that ruins families. And don't ever let your child hear any of that. My daughter had to hear that, and, and it just destroyed her, what was said about her and what was said about it. So we just need to create support. That was the message I wanted to get out today. I know the process can, and I just muddied it up a, a bunch more, but there is a process for it. Trust the process, but do your part. We have to do our part to protect our kids, and that means after disclosure, after it happens, that's a lifelong. It doesn't just stop at 18 and you're done with your kids. Lifelong support. So us as adults need to take take the take the lead on this. Well, a couple of things. I don't think, again, thinking of that phrase of like disruptive progress, I don't think there's a, a way to go through this point by point and make it not muddy. Because yeah. it's an ugly this is just an ugly situation. Yeah. And so it it is going by and just saying, and here's this and here's this. Remember folks on the candid conversations page that you can find on Facebook, um, Rebecca now is gonna start posting on that. The resources, the phone numbers, the different things, and, and it'll be in our area. There's also a national one that you had talked about. We need to get those guys. Um, yeah, range. You just co ring, copy their um, yeah, link and throw that on there. Yeah, for sure. And these are some resources that you can go to uh, and kind of follow up from there. Uh, anyway, my name is David Fournier. I'm here with Rebecca. We are doing the Candid Conversations uh, episode. Thank you so much for joining us either live or on archive. And uh, we'll be back as soon as we're ready to move forward on the next one. All right. Thank you. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.